and welcome to episode eight of the Jared White Show, recorded July 23rd, 2018. I am, of course, your host, Jared White, and I invite you to join me in a curated celebration of the art form that is the web. If you haven't already, I'd love it if you would sign up for my weekly newsletter at jaredwhite.com. And you can also subscribe there to this show in your podcast player of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Castro, and others. I'd like to shout out to some awesome people who have messaged me lately with feedback and ideas about this podcast and my blog. Jeffrey, James, Anthony, Scott, Alexa, Greg, Rose, Rick, Marty, and I hope I'm not forgetting anybody else. So thanks again for your support of this show and the blog. And if you, dear listener, would like to send me a message and possibly get featured on the show in a guest appearance or just get a reply back to your email, you can do so by going to jaredwhite.com and clicking message. It's a big red button. You can't miss it. For today's meta segment, uh, it's pretty sad. I am a huge, huge fan of John Schnepp have been for a couple years now, uh, and I regret to inform you that he passed away on July 19th, 2018. Um, For those of you who don't know, uh, John Schnepp was a regular contributor to the Collider uh, video network on YouTube. Uh, He appeared on Movie Talk a number of times, uh, and he also hosted his own show called Collider Heroes. That was all about superheroes, comic books, Uh, TV shows and movies, Uh, and he was just one heck of a guy. Uh, I I didn't know him personally, but I always appreciated his videos on YouTube. Uh, He had tremendous energy and enthusiasm, and he was not only a fan, but he was a filmmaker himself and had uh, actually produced a documentary about a film that almost happened, a Tim Burton-directed Superman film. Um, so that, that, uh, it was a project where he, uh, he explored in his documentary, uh, you know, what were the reasons behind why that Tim Burton Superman film never came to fruition. Um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty shocking because, uh, all of a sudden on Twitter, we all heard that, uh, he was in the hospital in critical condition, uh, didn't really know, you know, what that meant or what was going on. Um, and then the, the final news after he passed was that he had uh, succumbed to uh, the effects of a massive stroke. It's been a sad time for, for the fan base of Collider and of the, uh, the movie talk show there and Collider Heroes. Our heart goes out to Holly Payne, his partner and fiance, um, and other uh, members of his family and, and the whole staff there at Collider. A link in the show notes uh, to the page on Collider where it talks a little bit about him and uh, has a, a really cool video that's uh, like four hours long with highlights of his appearances throughout the years. Uh, so you can poke around there if you want. Um, and uh, so, yeah, the, the link is in the show notes there for that. And just a quick aside, uh, I'm, a, I'm a really big fan, as I mentioned, of Collider. And, um, you know, the movie talk show they do is great. Uh, John Campia used to be with Collider and, and kicked off their whole uh, uh, YouTube empire, as it were. Um, he's, he's on his own now, um, but there's still a lot of great guys and gals over there at Collider that uh, regularly talk about the latest movie news, TV news, uh, review movies that come out. 
Um, so, uh, so if you haven't already, uh, check out Collider.com if you're into movies and TV shows. Uh, it's, it's my go-to destination for, for that sort of content. All right, uh, it's, uh, it's a somber note there, but we're going to head into some more upbeat news now, and this is the link segment. Um, quick follow-up, uh, last episode talked a lot about the new MacBook Pros and tried to describe uh, True Tone a little bit and, um, and what, uh, what True Tone is for, and how that affects uh, computer displays. Uh, and it's, but it's one of those things that's really hard to describe. So, uh, so I put up an example. I, I took side-by-side pictures of the same MacBook Pro uh, with and without True Tone on. And so the link in the show notes there will, uh, will, will let you see, you know, pretty clearly what the difference is. Uh, you can see, you know, the, uh, the computer and the, the desk around it, and you can see that, you know, they look essentially identical in both shots. But then if you look at the display itself, one is, uh, you know, kind of this, like, bluish, ghosty-looking color palette, and the other one looks very natural and, like part of the environment. And that's the magic of True Tone. Uh, so check that out. Uh, if you're using a podcast player where it's hard to get to show notes, you can simply go to jaredwhite.com slash podcast slash eight to get these links and more. By the way, I do apologize there. I literally had a leaf blower outside my window, so I had to stop recording. Um, I think he's gone, so uh, we'll we'll get this back up and running. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, sorry about that. Um, anyway, uh, next link I want to mention real quick is uh, on the Intersect blog, which uh, I run for my web design company, White Fusion. Uh, I wrote about the archival benefits of static site generators and how uh, tools like Jekyll, Hugo, and others that um, produce sites by essentially you know, building a website through a build process uh, from raw content like markdown files, images, CSS, JavaScript, etc. Um, and, and why that's important for archiving purposes. Um, you know, with WordPress sites or other you know, large CMS systems, um, the whole site is contained within a database and sort of a specific site structure that's used by an application to produce a final website. Whereas with static site generators, you essentially get an output folder that's literally the website. All it is is just the, the final pages that could be loaded up in a web browser and hosted through a, a simple you know, CDN content delivery network or, or even just a basic web server. Um, so for archiving purposes, it's huge because it means that, you know, literally many decades from now, you'll instantly be able to load up a website and look at it in your web browser without having to run anything. You don't have to install PHP or Ruby or Python or anything like that. Uh, you don't have to install uh, a database like MySQL or PostgreSQL. Um, you can just look at a website because it's literally just files on your computer or on a simple uh, server in a, in a repository somewhere. Um, so, uh, so I feel confident that if I build a website now using Jekyll or some kind of static site generator, um, it'll be easily accessible to me decades from now. Whereas past sites I built with WordPress, I, I basically just have to go to the internet archive and look up a site there because I just, it's way too crazy and, and difficult to, to set up a bunch of ancient WordPress sites now on a, on a modern computer just to, you know, review it. Uh, so check that out if you're interested. Next up, uh, Raymond Tamayo. I hope I'm saying that right. 
Uh, he's a Filipino, and he's been writing over at RaymondTamayo.com all about minimalism and mindfulness, and that's a topic near and dear to my heart. Uh, I haven't really talked about it much in the last few episodes. It's been uh, a bit more on the nerdy side, so I really wanted to include this. It's a great article, Three Ways to Do Nothing, Creating Life's White Space. And it's sort of a comparison between, um, you know, the white space that you see in a graphic design and how that can affect your feelings about the design and what you're looking at. Um, you know, it, it can kind of uh, really highlight and make things more impactful than if you had a really cluttered design with every little nook and cranny of the space filled up with something. Um, and it's the same with life as well. You know, if we fill up every moment of our waking life with a million little details, uh, it's going to wear on us. You know, we need that white space in our own lives, in our own schedule, time to just be, time to, to not do anything. Uh, so if you're interested in mindfulness and minimalist topics, definitely encourage you to check out three ways to do nothing, creating life's white space. Next up, a cool article from Sweetwater. They're a retailer that uh, has a ginormous online store as well as an equally ginormous uh, physical retail presence in Indiana. They, uh, they're a great source for, for studio gear if you're interested in that sort of thing. Um, and this article, Six Pieces of Studio Gear That Changed the Sound of Music Forever, uh, I found this fascinating. It goes into sort of the history of some of the really cool devices that came out in the 50s and 60s into the early 70s that essentially define modern music making in the studio. Uh, they talk about the first plate reverb. It was literally a metal plate that sound waves would be uh, you know, directed towards from some kind of speaker. And then a microphone would record the, the reverberations of that metal plate, and that would be the reverb effect. It was used by the Beatles and a bunch of other acts in that early era of, of, the, of the studio as we know it. It goes into digital reverbs from Lexicon, uh, a bunch of uh, even-tied uh, rack-mounted uh, effects units, instant phaser, digital delay. Uh, anyway, it's just really cool if you're interested in music making and music production in the studio. Uh, and of course, it's... Uh, made its way to, to live events uh, as well. So, so, so it's a cool overview of, uh, of what transpired decades ago to make music what it is today. And for today's image segment, I'd like to go a little bit in-depth into web VR. Now, what's web VR? Uh, think VR, you know, headsets, 3D graphics, uh, all, all, the, all the cool environmental design stuff that goes into VR experiences, but, but delivered and, and accessed and presented through the web. So, you know, essentially you could just, you know, have a computer, go to a URL in your web browser, and you enter into a VR experience. You know, if you have a headset with, you know, 3D, the 3D goggles and all that, that's wonderful. Um, but you don't necessarily even need that. You can just, you know, look at the, the, the graphics 2D on your screen. Um, but, uh, but a lot of people are starting to think about VR as a technology and realizing that, you know, one, one of the potential promises of VR and how it could uh, affect society uh, would come through the fact that it's accessible through the web. 
And I certainly believe this. I think, um, you know, Facebook and Microsoft and other companies that talk about having um, experiences of, you know, groups of people coming together to collaborate in, in business or in education or other means. Um, you know, the question is, is that all happening in, in proprietary siloed networks that only, you know, it only works if you're, if everyone's using the Microsoft software or the Facebook software or whatever, you know, do we, do we want that? Or, you know, once again, it always comes down to, you know, do we want an open system where, you know, any application can participate any web host can participate, any individual or company can participate using open standard tools. Uh, and that's what Mozilla is working on. They're really trying to push web VR right now. Uh, so much so that they came up with this concept called hubs. Uh, the link's in the show notes. Essentially, uh, you can just go to the hubs website and start a hub and you get a link. And then from that point forward, anyone who has that link can come enter your hub and basically, a hub is kind of like a chat room, but with all of the 3D graphics and environmental stuff added onto it. Uh, so you have an avatar, everyone has an avatar, and when you go into this hub, you know, everyone's there in, in 3D physical space, and they can, you know, sort of interact with each other in this virtual reality environment. Um, so, you know, co conceptually, this is nothing new. There have been VR worlds before many times. Uh, Second Life was a really popular one back in the 2000s. Um, technically, it's still around, but it's sort of a, a, a mere shadow of its former self at this point. Um, but, you know, the, the idea of having a VR room that people can enter and participate in is certainly nothing new. In fact, uh, VRML was an attempt to come up with a virtual reality equivalent to HTML. And this was all the way back in the 90s. So people were trying to add virtual reality to the web almost as early as the web itself. Um, but it just uh, never took off, I think, partially because of the difficulties of network speeds at, at that time, coupled with uh, you know the fact that most computers just weren't powerful enough to create compelling 3D graphic experiences like that. Um, and, um, you know, just like Linux on the desktop, uh, this is the year of Linux on the desktop, and that never really happens. VR kind of feels that way as well. Like, this is the year of VR. This is the year VR really takes off for everybody. And, and that never quite happens for you know, a variety of reasons. Um, and it might be true for web VR for a while. But, but I'm confident that, you know, over time, when everyone's uh, network speeds are, are, you know, reasonably high enough, and, uh, you know, e even in little smartphones now, we have incredible 3D graphics power. So certainly, certainly the graphics capabilities are there now. So I think, you know, all we need is a good killer app to make everyone realize that uh, VR and specifically VR on the web using open standard technologies uh, is, is really cool and really powerful way to uh, enhance collaboration, to make people feel like they're really in the same environment together and interacting with each other. And it's just a whole new dynamic than, than a text-based chat room or, or even just voice or video conferencing. Um, you know, I think the idea that, that uh, you know, you, you can enter into a world, into a, an imaginary world, or even a world that looks like the real one. You know, maybe there's, there's a virtual Paris and we can all meet at some cafe, you know, overlooking the Eiffel Tower, uh, you know, and, and meet there to, to discuss things and be inspired uh, I, there's so many applications that seem really cool if we can all kind of uh, join a VR experience together and share that. 
Um, but I believe it's only going to take off really if everyone's using open standard technologies and, and essentially just their web browser. Um, so if you're interested in this topic, I definitely encourage you to check out WebVR. I will say that I wasn't able to get it to work quite right in my testing. And what I mean by that is uh, if I uh, pulled up a hub on one computer here and then I tried to, on a different computer, to join the hub, you know, essentially it's like a second person, um, it, it killed it killed the hub. The hub like just kind of froze. And I think maybe it's because I'm trying to, you know, have two different people on my immediate home network here join the hub. You know, maybe if one was literally on a separate network, it might work better. Um, although if I recall, I think I tried to do it on my phone using the AT&T network. So that would be a separate network from my Comcast landline. And I was still having trouble. So, you know, these are early days, clearly, in the web VR space. But um, but in theory, if I got, you know, these two characters to go into the same room together in this hub, uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty magical, like... Uh, blow away experience, as they say. So check that out. I also have a link in the show notes to the Webpedia article on WebVR. If you just want to learn more about the, the technology here in general, uh, it's really quite fascinating. So that's it for today's show. I will mention one more thing, which is that episode nine is coming up, which means that after that, episode 10 is coming up. And I really want to plan something special for episode 10 uh, I know it's, you know, it's just 10 episodes of a podcast. Like, there's not really anything special about that. Like, let's talk when we get to 100, right? Um, but still, I feel like it's a, it's a good milestone. Um, this may actually be the first podcast where I've gotten to episode 10. Um, <laughs> uh, I probably shouldn't be telling you that because now you're just like, okay, this, like, this show is probably going to be over next week, but no, no, no. I promise we'll at least get to episode 10 and, uh, and with luck, we'll get to episode hundred eventually. But at any rate, uh, I want to do something special for episode 10. Uh, and one of the things I'd like to do is to have some sort of giveaway. So I'm not sure yet if that's like a book giveaway or a little gadget giveaway or, or you know, some kind of cool uh, piece of artwork or music. I'm not sure yet, um, but uh, if you'd like to be part of that giveaway, uh, make sure you're subscribed to my email newsletter. That's like the, the first step for sure uh, to, to being part of the giveaway. So uh, go to jaredwhite.com, click follow, and then just uh, stick in your email address there to, to join the newsletter and, um, and be uh, eligible for this giveaway once we hit episode 10. So thanks for listening to The Jared White Show. It's been fun. It's been cool, but it's time to go. So I will see you next week. Bye.